Welcome, fellow traveller, to the Tent Talks podcast, where we fight bad ideas with good ideas. Join Dr. Stephen Backhouse and friends as we pursue the renewing of our theological, social, and political imagination. Welcome, fellow travellers, to yet another episode of the Tent Talks podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Sean McCoy, to kind of set the tone again for what we're doing with this series around disagree. It's very easy as we have experienced throughout our, our, our time here, and even just in general, that uh, you know, it's easy to disagree from afar or just to kind of blanket statement people or just to kind of say I'm against that. Or, or even when you are confronted with the opportunity to talk to somebody who may be thinking differently than you are, is in a different space than you are. Many of us can relate, not only with others, but our own evolution as people in terms of what we've thought before. How would we talk to our old selves? And what does it really mean, uh, the art, the opportunity to engage with somebody, and especially when things get important, when there are, when there are things on the line that are, it's not just a matter of a, a holiday meal, it's more of a, hey, we're talking about legislation, or we're talking about where, where certain things go from a resource standpoint. All these challenges are things that we deal with as people. And it really is, there's an art of disagreeing and how you maintain composure, how you maintain just grace and love, the things that we talk about as just as human beings that are important to us. And how do we do that? And so I really wanted this series to be kind of that that opportunity to give, to hear the voices of those that can speak to that and really do, do a, a great job on that. And so as Stephen and Chris and I and Natasha were talking, uh, one of the friends of mine that popped up into my head that I thought would be wonderful to have on this show is my buddy Ryan Walker. And as luck would have it, I'm not, he's in D.C. and I'm in Houston, but I'm actually in studio with him. We get to look at him in, in, the, in, in the flesh, which is always a preference that we like to do. Because he just happened to be in town. I reached out to him and said, hey, we're doing this series. Would you love to come on? I'd love to have you come on. What do you think? And he was like, sure, man, we'd love to. So I just thought it'd be great to sit down with him and let him explain to you what he does for a living and why that might be something worth worth listening to, because he has spent a tremendous amount of his time motivated by his passions and his beliefs and the things that he wants for this world, and having to do so in a realm and in, a, in an area that you're going to have opposition, and how do you deal with that? And how do you know that you're not going to be able to get your way all the time? And how do you do this in such a way that you honor what you're trying to do, but also engage with the person on the other side? Uh, no doubt has a lot of war stories from it. With that, Ryan, thanks for coming on the show, buddy. Thanks, Sean. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, it's good to be here today. <laughs> I, I, I love being in Houston. <laughs> I appreciate. We like. I like when you're here too. And it's it's not a bad place to be. Uh, so, and we were just talking about a friend of ours that we we met. And so, just a little, I'm going to give a little background on how I met Ryan. As you can tell, he's got a he's got the voice for radio. I met him in a clubhouse room over the pandemic. Uh, he and I were both representing uh, a group on the quote unquote stage for this oil and gas room, and just again try to just enjoyed who he was, his his personality, and his connections, and the people he would bring on as guests. Because we didn't just sit around waxing poetic about. <laughs> What That's we right. thought, but he brought in some some people from the political world, congressmen, both in our country and Canada, and gave us a chance, which I think is in the spirit of this, is to hear from the very people that we like to look over and go, 
they're the ones that are causing all the problems, right? These guys don't care. These girls don't care. So it was wonderful to hear that. And so in the spirit of that, give a little background. I've tried to avoid giving, but can you kind of give us an idea of what it is you do for a living and what it is you do on a daily basis from a professional standpoint? Yeah. Um, so as you said, I, I live in the Washington, D.C. area, uh, live in Northern Virginia. And, you know, you mentioned a voice for radio. I'd say a face for radio. But, um, <laughs> you know, so I'm a... Uh, I'm a lobbyist. I wear the scarlet L. Uh, as many people are like, oh, I hate lobbyists. So I think it's, I think we're like lobbyists and lawyers are in a in, in constant battle to see who people hate the, the most. But as my as one of my best friends and business partners often says, look, we are we're here to help people voice their concerns and as the Constitution says to air their redresses to, to, to government. And so we're helping companies, we're helping organizations get their uh, voice in the process. Because if you're not, I often tell people, look, if you're, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. We're here to, to help make sure these organizations, these companies, these people have a voice in the legislative and political process. And I spent 14 years on Capitol Hill as a staffer. I was chief of staff to Congressman Bob Latta. Uh, he's a, a member of Congress from Ohio, serves on the House Energy and Commerce Committee. Uh, after I left Capitol Hill, I was an in-house lobbyist for a small oil and gas company called BP, um, and then left BP and to start the Washington office for uh, Shoemaker Advisors. Shoemaker Advisors is a uh, bipartisan lobbying firm. We're a subsidiary of uh, top 200 law firm, Shoemaker, Lupin, Kendrick. Uh, the law firm itself is headquartered in Toledo, Ohio, but have offices in, in multiple states, Ohio, both of the Carolinas and in Florida. So you said at the very beginning, I want to go back to, which I think is a good place to start. Uh, you called it the scarlet letter. You know, it's always, and then what's funny is my other, in my other life, my other co-host on the, in the podcasting world was a lawyer, M&A, mergers and acquisition lawyer. And so it was always funny that, you know, he was I always used to joke that he was my favorite lawyer and that kind of thing because there is this, there is this back to maybe this is a good place again, good place to start. Oh, lobbyists are bad. You know, they're obviously you know, the scarlet letter, and, and if there's a problem, you can tie it back to some lobbyist created this issue. When somebody comes up and kind of creates that kind of environment for you or starts in that area, how, how do you respond? Like, what is your is it is it along the lines of what you just said about kind of like context, or do you? How do you engage in that kind of commentary? Yeah. I mean, anytime people want to talk about being a lobbyist and what I do and, or is it, you know, grimy or unseemly and I just engage them and I'm like, look, you know, are you, depending upon how old they are or whatever, and if they're older, I'll be like, well, are you a member of AARP or what do you do for a living? Oh, you work in a, a factory. Are you a member of the UAW or are you a member of uh, Service Employees International Union or or whatever. And they'll be like, yeah. I said, well, you have a lobbyist. Everyone is represented. Like if you're a member of Trout Unlimited, right? You have a, you have a lobbyist. Any organization that someone is involved in cares about, they have likely, they likely have a voice in the process that they, that they may not even know about. Hmm. Hmm. And around the area of can you give a little guidance? And I think this is, it may be a bit of a sidebar, but I think it will help create some context. The parameters with which you operate, you know, the 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 legend, or if you, if the impression is, if you have enough money, you can just buy your way in, versus like process and restrictions and kind of the the parameters. And so, in terms of 
those, as you agree, disagree relative to a topic, what are the parameters like that you have to deal with that are really restrictions that you have to follow? Yeah, I mean, look, you know, people say, oh, it's it's just moneyed interest that always kind of rise to the top and get their concerns addressed. I, I couldn't emphatically say that's not true enough because at the end of the day, members of Congress, elected officials, whether at the local, state, or federal level, they care about their constituents. They're not their opinion position on something isn't going to be swayed by a a small campaign contribution, a steak dinner, or anything like that. That's just absurd to to think that someone can be bought like that. The parameters that, that we as lobbyists often operate in is obviously there's rules, regulations, and laws that you know govern what we do. Reporting, public reporting. You know, have to, we have to publicly report who our clients are. We have to publicly report how much our clients pay us. You know, nowhere else in the world, largely, uh, is that type of information that companies have to make public, how much they pay their suppliers or anything like that. From from our perspective, look, there's, I often tell people, like, I operate in the four Ps, right? I have to know the people, the process, the politics, and the policy. And if you don't know one of those, you're, uh, you may not be as effective as you either think you are or... Um, or want to be. So you said people in the very beginning of that. Mm-hmm. And so I know from my experience, just being in sales and business development and marketing in the oil and gas industry, that in it, you could argue in the same context of what you're talking about, about having a seat at the table or just that relational opportunity, even the opportunity to disagree, to take it back to the topic, uh, is going to be dictated by that relationship. Right. I mean, it just, I mean, if you and I have a disagreement, it's, it's going to be different than if somebody I don't know. Right. With not only its impact, but my ability to have that conversation. So like I couldn't, I didn't just open up a phone book and find a lobbyist. Right. It's because you're a friend of mine in terms of building that relationship. That was always that I will tell you from a personal standpoint, that was always, I wouldn't say the conflict, but I can see where going to a dinner, going on a, on a, even a, a hunting trip or going on some sort of excursion or going on, a, you know, go shoot sporting clays or go play around a golf. The impression is, yes, you're trying to buy something in a sense. Having been on both sides, both as a customer and as somebody who provided those, those services for, for customers that I had, it seemed to me like it was always about developing that relationship. So to that, how can, if, let's, for the sake of it, instead of just kind of patting each other on the back around that, somebody hears that and says, disagree. I don't, the second you go beyond that, because there are some that I've seen this in the corporate world in the last 10, 20 years who are like closed door, like it's just transactional. I don't want to get to know you. I mean, I've had customers that were like, can you tell me the price, show it, you know, here it is. And I don't want to, I don't care who your kids are. I don't care who your mother is. I don't care who went to school, the rest of that stuff. There is some of that, some element of that. In terms of the spirit of disagreeing, which one do you, favor more if you were given kind of like a, a, a blank slate and and why in terms of relationships look i've done a I, I don't i don't view myself as a as a transactional person i don't i don't particularly care for transactional relationships maybe that's why i don't you know i don't i don't have a big circle right in my personal life i have uh, a few friends who are very close to me and i have a small circle i value investing in those who are who invest in me, who care about me. I care about them. I care about their families. So when I am building a relationship, I want to know the, the, the whole person. I want to know, you know, not just, hey, you're a, you're a staff member for Congressman X 
or Senator Y. I want to know who you are as a person. You know, I want to go grab coffee with you. I want to go have lunch with you. I want to know what do you like to do? Do you like to golf? Do you like to shoot? Those are the the relationships that are the long term relationships. They're harder to develop, no doubt, especially in a in a in a city like Washington. They're harder to develop, but they they mean much more. And so, so when you have those relationships, and and, and I would agree with you, because I think the transactional side just becomes, uh, it just becomes too, too transactional. Uh, but it, and it does come with its with its hangups in terms of like um, the, these are friends of yours. At some point in time, you may disagree with them. Not to be not to name names or anything, but have you? How have you managed? Or is there an instance you can think back about where you just really had this? consultation, like you had this conflict around something that was personal, maybe it was just something you had a personal professional relationship with and just kind of, how did you manage that and be as, you know, you can, you can use the names can be protected to, or names can be hidden to protect the innocent kind of thing. It's fine. Yeah. No, I, I think in either personal or professional relationships, the main thing is to always be direct and honest. Um, because if I'm not, I'm not, I'm not valuing your time. I'm not valuing you as a person. It doesn't matter to me if we disagree. I'm still, I, I'm not, I'm not going to cut anyone off because they're, uh, I disagree with an opinion or a position that they have. That's where we've, and I may be going down a different track here, but we've gotten so divisive in, in the world that we live in where you can't, you can't even disagree with, uh, without fear of some type of reprisal, right? I mean, you People have fear of speaking out or people have fear of giving their opinions or people have fear of engaging in intellectual conversations because of fear of being canceled or uh, fear of, you know, some type of um, societal punishment. Or punishment. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And is it you work in a place where, where there's some, there's, there seems to be like a quiet majority, but then there's some who all they do is insight that all they, on both ends, it seem to always be these these uh, microphones for just divisiveness that you're talking about. And so help us understand, and maybe give us, a, again, don't have to name names, obviously, but because it seems like part of the issue in that decisiveness to me, and the reason why disagreeing may become so difficult, is there isn't room for failure. There isn't room for me not to get my way. That I, ha I have to win in order for not only to validate myself, but those around me in a sense of like, we're, as long as we get our way, and that, and that compromise becomes like, you know, sharing a little bit, but at the end of the day, we won, it's our road, so now we get to dictate what happens. Can you help us understand, when the cameras are off and there's, you know, senators and congressmen and, uh, and other congressmen and women, when they're in there working through deals and they're in there working through things, like, how do they disagree? And and what is it, and how does that, being on the chief staff, like, what does that look like? Yeah. Um, look, I'll just say that initially that we've we've gone past the point in a lot of ways where people have forgotten how to be or how to disagree without being disagreeable. That to me is a is a big component, and I think part of that is like you said, politics has become politics. Maybe maybe life in general, I guess, has become a zero sum game, uh, and it's not a zero sum game. And I'll I'll butcher the quote, but you know Ronald Reagan basically said, paraphrasing, is that you know if I get eighty percent of what I want, you know, great, let's sign the deal. And 
you live to fight another day on the remaining 20%. So uh, let me give away my political persuasion <laughs> as well too. But, okay. um, you know, it's uh, to me, you know, this, this country, this, you know, Washington DC itself was, uh, was built on compromise. Thomas Jefferson, Alexander Hamilton sat down and negotiated what Washington DC will look like and where it would be. To me, and, and from a, I'm a Christian, and from a Christian standpoint, you know, you can you can hate the sin uh, and not hate the sinner. And so, because religion does come into it quite a bit, right? Especially with the last, I think the episode of the last seven years, and like I said, a big impetus for this podcast was was around some of the things that that were occurring relative to politics and religion. So, how, from a disagree agree standpoint, um, how how do you balance? like your personal faith relative to your job. And, and this is something that you have to sometimes remember, like if that 80, if that 20% of that 80 that, that, you know, that former president Reagan's talking about is, could be something that is very dear to them from a personal level, but it just isn't on the menu. It just isn't on the menu in terms of like compromising or, or getting that way. I, kind of like on a personal, how do you, how do you manage that from a, from a belief standpoint? Well, look, I'm, I'm faith driven, but I also understand that I'm an imperfect person. I'm a sinner just as just as much as the next person. So to me, I have my my core principles that I won't budge on, but I can still move the ball forward without compromising core principles. And I think that's the same for politics. You and in the art of the art of the deal, I, I guess you know. <laughs> I don't want to go down that road, but um, you know, it's uh, people can move the ball in their direction and get a half loaf, right? And and still continue to have the conversation. It's a bit ironic because we're on a podcast now and talking about this, but media is um media is is is, is driven uh, a lot of these disagreements to and it's driven people to their ideological corners, right? And you have both the the spectrums, the the far left, far right, you know, the, they're the loudest voices in the room most of the time, but they're not the voices in the room that are often sitting down and cutting the deals. So it's, people can be keyboard commandos or keyboard warriors and, um, you know, spout off on, on social media, but you don't have the accountability of being in front of someone like we are now, uh, or like people sitting down to discuss policy deals. They're, hiding behind a keyboard, hiding behind social media has driven people to their corners and it is not productive. I mean, I, as much as we all rely on our phones and everything like that, and I have social media too, again, imperfect. To me, it's, uh, we need more FaceTime. We need more, more FaceTime. And so to the, do, you, do you see, I mean, have you seen in your time I mean, obviously, like people different political spectrums, economic, social standings, and things of that nature throughout your time in in, in DC and politics. Have you? When have you seen disagreement, or who who do you see that disagrees has disagreed well? Who have you looked over at and saw? If you want to name names, you can. But like, just is there anybody that stood out to you? Like, man, that person holds their core beliefs, but really engages in disagreement well, to the point where like I kind of almost want to kind of like be like that. Does anybody stand out to you in that regard? In terms of an individual, yeah, um, or even a circumstance or something, just something that stands out. Look, it, it'll be uh, I'm I'm, and I'm totally biased on this, but 
my 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 former boss, Congressman Latta. Um, you know, he is he's a what I often term is a legislator's legislator. He has his core conservative principles, but he's also able to work with members of Congress on the other side of the aisle. Um, you know, he's not, and he, he understands who he is, what he believes, who his constituents are, what they believe, in my opinion. And there's not another member of Congress that knows their constituency better than he does. And it is, I mean, and I, I, I had the opportunity to work for him and be his chief of staff for eight years and learn from him. There's an ability that he is a, a quiet warrior. Um, he's not one of the members that wants to be Twitter famous or, or, or constantly be on, on social media. Um, he is just doing the work we need. And, and that's a problem. Maybe we need more workhorses and less show horses. Mm. So to the show horse, because those show horses, as you're saying, as I mentioned before, specifically more on the, you know, probably the conservative side, relative to our, our audience, a lot of the times, sure it likes to get this a lot of the attention it sure seemed to kind of hijack like because then it becomes an all or none thing where if if that particular person uh, is one who's show horsing and twitter famous and seems to always be the the lightning rod or the you know, one way or the other for disagreement they tend to get all the attention like jim you're talking about you don't hear it i would be hard pressed and i'll be challenged out there if anybody had ever heard of him before right right now because him and a lot of other people aren't, mm-hmm. but there's a couple of names we could put out there, and we've all heard of them. Sure. So, what is it like to look over? At, I don't want to say your own team, but kind of people that you maybe idea because it could be any side of the spectrum from a political standpoint. This is somebody who represents kind of your side, and you see them doing things. And you're just like, man, I wish you wouldn't do that. In terms of that, so how do you, from a disagreement standpoint, how do you kind of process that part of it when you're when people on your team are are doing things you're just like, uh. <laughs> Look, I mean, when someone is is disagreeing with me or, or has a disagreeable position to where I am, I mean, look, ultimately you have to figure out, you know, first of all, you have to find out who that person is. And then you have to find out who, or, or rather what that person ultimately wants. Is it is it what they're saying or is it some variation thereof? Because... Look, in, in policy negotiations as well as business negotiations, there's, there's as much psychology as there is as it is data driven. Um, so you have to understand who the person is. And I think, you know, going back to some previous comments, you know, social media, uh, the pandemic, and a lot of these things have caused people to uh, either go to their ideological corners or not be uh, social creatures. I mean, they're, you know, either staying in their home or, or, you know, because of health concerns or whatever else it may be. But we are social beings. I tell people all the time, I'm a professional extrovert, you know? Um, so it's, you know, we need to figure out who the person is, what they want and listen to them. You know, no, everybody wants to listen with the expectation of responding. Nobody listens. Uh, or very few people listen anymore for the sake of listening and hearing and understanding. So I think that's that's a that's a key part of avoiding or, or, or avoiding being disagreeable, so that you know we can continue to to move this this country, our lives, and um, you know the Great Commission uh, that Christ gave us, you know, forward. So to that, and I'd love to end on this. So. In- for you personally, can you think of a time where you 
listened, where you were challenged in a sense, and it forced you to to maybe change or modify something that you thought. That, I mean, it could be of any degree to kind of any any capacity, but something where you were kind of like maybe. Like I'll give an example for myself. Kind of what I'm getting at is uh, years ago I was in a in on a business trip up in Canada. So a guy that I worked with, he was a, one of our suppliers and having a good time at dinner. You know, <laughs> you know, it's just part of this. We were talking earlier, and we started talking about the death penalty. And I was, you know, relatively young coming out of Texas, and of course I had just had always just decided that this thought never really, you know, I don't believe this way now. But then I just it ran with it, ran with the horses, right? Death penalty's way, you know, it's the it's the thing, retributive justice, um, blah blah blah, and, I, and we were arguing the merits of it. And he finally just kept, he just kind of said, John, he's like, I just, I just don't agree that you should ever happen. And there's this part of me that, I, to your point, I was kind of listening to what he said. And there's another part of my head that was just like, no, but I want to win this argument kind of thing. I want to dominate what he's saying. And I want to give my position its merit. Like, no, no, no. But there's this little point that this little voice that said, hey, why, why can't he feel that way? Why can't he just be against it? Is there not room for that? And I kind of had to like, oh, like it was one of these moments. Have you ever had anything like that? So two things come to mind. One, very similar to what you were talking about in the death penalty. Look, I'm a, um, I'm a conservative guy. Um, I am a pro-life guy. And oftentimes I viewed pro-life in the in kind of the box that people put it in uh, talking about abortion, right? But – I took that out and people said, well, you can't, you can't be pro-life and be pro-death penalty. And I was like, wow, I had to kind of, it seems very intuitive, right? But it wasn't to me. Um, and I had to step back and I'm like, okay, well, I can't say now that I support the death penalty. Um, because, you know, only, only God has the ability to create and take life. But then I also go to, Look, if our if our prisons were prisons and not places where people can watch cable TV and you know whatever else and the the prison you know issues and is another issue, but you know if if justice were really justice and people would sit in jail for the rest of their lives, not in any form of comfort, that's a that's something that you know I could get behind. You're having justice, but you're also saying I value life. I value that only one person, only he can take and um and create life you know just in just in general i mean in 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 politics in my daily life you know uh, as i said i'm a conservative but and i'm like why can't why can't people just see it you know my way you know and uh why can't they just see that this is wrong or this is right again being imperfect you have to realize that like create some self-awareness and be like wow not everybody thinks like you and you know people think differently and people have had different life experiences and people have had you know either different traumas or something like that so it's again trying to understand the people and if you don't agree with them um when it comes to our to our faith you can not like that sin you don't have to and it's not our job to judge right it's you don't you're not judging the sinner to me it's um and I sit here and I, I, I say all this to you and, um, you know, I could go out and, and do something and people are like, oh, you're a hypocrite. Um, but again, you know, it's, 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 we all live and we learn and uh, we have to realize this isn't a zero-sum game. We're all living in this, in this, uh, in this world together. We're on the, on the same journey. You know, we all each have our own beliefs. 
how do we we have to talk to each other i think that's the i think that's the bottom line we have to talk to each other love it great place to stop and it sounds like uh, the undercurrent of there is grace around disagreeing as well. Correct. Like, it makes me think about that. Yeah, well. yeah. You have but, to be willing to give it in and receive it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's just that's I think the giving it, allowing for those people to be in a position. Let, that gentleman allowed me to be in my position without coming at me, even though like I, said, I eventually went, yeah, like how can I, how, am I am I okay with this? I don't think I'm okay with this. And giving me that space yeah. to be an idiot in a way and to kind of be <laughs> dumb in that sense. And on that I say that, not saying that if you feel that way, you're an idiot. I'm just saying for my own context. But sure. Yeah. Thanks, man. I oh, this it. is great. Thank you. Good I could. Bye. I mean, I'm in politics, so I could sit here and talk forever. But thanks, well, me John. too. Though, they, and the audience is probably going, "Yeah, they could both." I yeah. Talk for <laughs> <laughs> they know that. All right. With that, appreciate it. And again, our hope and our takeaway from this is, you know, is to give you something to empower yourself with in terms of what it means to disagree and how. What is it like to hear from people, especially again? This isn't just an idea. This is this is Ryan. He's got a family. He's got a job. He's got a life, a personality. He's on his own journey. And he's in one of those jobs that we tend to think of as, you know, we just disagree with in gen- like this is existence, right? But it's it's it is it is out there and there are people doing it. And so we just hope this was valuable to you. As always, we appreciate any kind of commentary feedback and looking forward to the next show. With that, you know, take care. Thank you for listening. Thanks to David Backhouse for the theme tune and to Chris Marchand for editing and all the other music. This show only exists because of support from listeners like you. If you have found something we made to be good or useful, please consider becoming a patron at the Tent Talks Patreon page or leaving a good review on your chosen podcast platform. This really helps. For more information, visit www.tenttheology.com. <laughs>